Excellent guest today. Welcome to the Protectors. I have Brian Kilmeade on today, and I'm my awesome co-host, Chris Albanese. He is also one of the Crew Reviews podcast hosts, and he's going to be helping me interview one of the best interviewers out there. Mm-hmm. So, Brian, how's it going, brother? Thanks for the introduction, Jason. Good to see you. Hi, Chris. Hey, Brian. How are you? Great. Brian, you are jumping headfirst into this historic history writing books for years now you said hey you know what boom history repeats i want people to understand that history repeats and i'm going to write about some of the most important stories out there how did you get into this realm of historical writing well i mean i never thought i'd be doing it i just thought i'd be reading it i just loved the biographies when david mccullough started putting out those books on truman john adams when believe it or not truman wrote a book on just great people in history. Uh, I read, was reading everything on Truman possible. And he wrote a book about all these great people that he that were heroes to him. And I go, oh, that's kind of an interesting book. In it, he talked about Jefferson, Washington, Monroe, Hamilton, but he didn't just say what they accomplished. We knew that. He described them as human beings. He talked about the insecurity George Washington had because he didn't have the highest education compared to the other guys. How he, uh, his teeth were always an issue, always put him in pain, always self-conscious about it. Jefferson had red hair most of his life, kind of a tall guy in great shape because he would ride a horse as fast as he could every morning right at daybreak. I go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. You mean these mythical characters that are on the side of mountains were human beings with pluses and minuses? And they were, uh, I could, it, I just related to them in such a great way. Not that I'm their equals, but that they were human right. and that they, they had other, the same issues that everybody has. So that, that that whole element made me even more curious about him and John Adams, too. I remember reading David McCullough's book, and John Adams talks about taking a horse and carriage into New York. And he goes, what is it about this place? Everyone's in a rush, and they're all rude. I'm like, wait a second. That was <laughs> 1760. And this guy said, we got, and New York is the same way. You know, and then when they go to... You know, you go to these places, go Washington stood right here. He sat at that table. This is where he said goodbye to his officers. I, that just said, you got me as a consumer. And then I thought if I could bring something new to it, I would write about it. And that spy, spy ring that I've been looking at for 20 years got me started. And then it got me intrigued to try to find something all the way up the ladder. You know, the Washington spy ring, man, that was unbelievable. He was like, he was like the master of the game. That was like real spy craft back then. And that's kind of like the real origination of like American Intel. How, what was digging that story up? I mean, it just got more and more. And I just said, well, these people, I don't know what was folklore and what was real because on Long Island, the story started getting more and more heat. And then I would go out to Stony Brook and they would tell me something would happen. I go, how do you know that? Well, let me show you this document. Okay, great. Then I go to Oyster Bay where the Townsend's were. And they're like, oh, that's not true. Uh, that, that never happened. You know, so I had to get all these guys in a room. I got 12 people in a room and I, I rented a room in a holiday and I got them together. I talked about the 15 things that I can't figure out. And I let them debate it in front of me because a lot of this was oral history. And I got ancestors, the Bruce, Caleb Brewster's ancestors and Townsend's ancestors awesome. and Wilhelm's ancestors. So I was able to, to um, really find out who knew what. And then a lot of it freed me up to make my own bet. You know what? I believe these guys. I'm going to go this direction. 
So I thought, you know what? If a national treasure could be a big hit with Nicolas Cage, I know this is a real story actually happened. And if they were caught, they were killed. And these were everyday people. I go, this is this would be better. So I just put it out there and it sold over a million copies. Oh, yeah, it didn't. Unsung heroes too, Brian. I mean, it, yep. like names that people just don't know of. And like, I consider myself a history buff. And I remember reading that book and then seeing uh, the, they did like a TV series on it as well. And I was just blown away. I'm like, how the hell do I not know any of this stuff? Yeah. Well, the TV series made stuff up. I mean, I started no. yeah. watching it. <laughs> And then I'm like, this could be all my children or, or General Hospital. I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> you know? So I couldn't watch it anymore. And it wasn't the author's fault. The author did a great job, but the series screwed everything up. Yeah, it's usually what happens. Well, you know, yeah. that's a, and that is what the importance of books are. When you read something that's based, it's like historical nonfiction and it's not like based on a true story or based on this, you, you, when you read something, you get so much more out of it and it becomes historical, accurate account. When you watch, you know, geez, the news, you're only on there for a few minutes here and there. You could tell a quick soundbite, but you're not getting the full story. Now, when I'm looking at this book, I'm, I'm excited to read this one. I, I love your work. The president and a freedom fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. And one thing I didn't really is like, you know, how contentious the relationship was at first. You know, I, I'm reading the passage here about Frederick Douglass listening to or, or reading, not listening. Hey, what am I thinking? Reading about Lincoln's address. Frederick says this after Frederick Douglass's. Douglas read the published version of Lincoln's address. He's penned a screed that was one and a half times its length. The speech was pure hypocrisy. He concluded a double tongue document. What was that like? Kind of like digging into the past of, you know, these two really important historical figures. Well, Jason, the first thing I did is what you did and that's get quotes. So the first thing you did is I talked the whole story out and then I, I'll, I'll build up as many, the most intriguing quotes possible. That showed the tension, shows him getting along and everything. And it was one-way tension because Lincoln never wrote about Douglas, but clearly he knew about Frederick Douglass. And what he was, is when you what you were talking about is after his first inaugural, he gets elected after the Douglas debates where he made it clear that slavery uh, is not right. It is not just. He does not believe blacks and whites are equal, but he does believe everybody should be free. And But he didn't say the South has to lose their slaves. So by the time he wins, he gets zero votes in the South. By the time he gets there, famously, South Carolina left and six other states followed. So his goal is to keep the union together. So he gives us the inaugural that says, hey, guys, I'm not telling you to get rid of your slaves. Keep them. I'll even put it in the contract. I'll make an amendment that you can keep them. But just come back and we can work it out. Don't secede. And Douglas reads this. He goes, are you kidding me? You gave us all this hope. You have all this ambition. You're representing the Republican Party, the first one. And now you totally change your tune. Now, what Douglas would later realize is that there was a pace to what Lincoln was doing. It doesn't matter what he thought. It's where the country was. And mm -hmm. the country wasn't going to fight a war to free the slaves. They would eventually. But in the beginning, it was to bring the Union back together. And the South was to separate because we're too different. And it was to bring the Union back together and understand that you had no right to secede under the Constitution. It'll last 90 days and we'll win. They lasted way more than 90 days, and they almost lost it, even though they outnumbered them three to one. They had the better generals, that were more organized, more organized fighters. And who knows if uh, if we had made the wrong, if the North had made the wrong move, you had other countries recognizing the South as the United mm -hmm. States of America, and 
Douglas would learn to understand that that there was a pace to what Lincoln was doing because he was running the country. He'd have no union to preserve if he had done what Frederick Douglass wanted, who you understandable, he was born a slave, at the pace that Douglass wanted. And until they met, Douglas never fully understood it. But once they met and once they both uh, talked to each other, they saw the purity in which they both had the same approach. They ended up teaming up in way too short a time because John Wilkes Booth did more damage to this country than any other single human being in the history of the world. Boom. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, because later on, it sounds like they, you know, they're going back and forth, back and forth. And then Douglas had, here's another passage later on. Douglas had underestimated Lincoln, as had so many others. He found himself captivated by the manner in which Lincoln listened patiently to his every word, then responded in measured and thoughtful ways. And he, and he spoke. Douglas thought with an earnestness and fluency of which I had not suspected him. Lincoln would ask for particulars. Douglas replied in detail. Their exchange was truly a conversation. They did not speak at cross purposes as Lincoln looked to find common ground. So it's kind of like it almost was like Lincoln like really was one of those types of people that wasn't just giving you like puff. He was just like, hey, I really want to know. Tell me what your opinion is. Tell me what your thoughts are. And then I'll base my conclusion on your facts. That's what he did. I mean, this is self-taught guy. One year of formal training. All he would do is read everything he got a hold of. And Frederick Douglass, if if anyone was caught teaching a slave to read or write, they'd be jailed. And he managed to find a, a woman, uh, her name is uh, Sofa, and last name Old, A-U-L-D. Uh, the father, the, uh, the husband was the slave master. She was new to it. She saw this cute kid who wanted to learn. She taught him to read and write. And then when he walked in and saw that, uh, he stopped it, but it wouldn't stop him. So both of them went just to overcome obstacle after obstacle to learn to read, write, and make an impact. And to, and read things like Plato, the Bible, George Washington, historical figures of the past, Julius Caesar. So they were broadening their horizon against all odds and becoming the most learned men uh, in the country. Meanwhile, they read the same thing. It was called the Columbian Orator. And I downloaded it. I encourage everyone watching to download it. One minute you're reading something from Plato, Socrates, or uh, or George Washington, and he's seeing the way people view slavery outside our borders, that blacks and whites are equal, that there is no difference, and he's seeing all the possibilities that our country had and how great we potentially could be. And instead of saying, let me out of here, he said, let me make this place better here. And same thing with Lincoln. He had every reason to be bitter. His mom dies at nine, object poverty, two illiterate parents. Dad was coming, put down those books, worked the fields, licensing them out to other farms. Not necessarily a bad guy, but a man of his times. And ends up growing up and getting supportive stepmom, like his first mom, with support his intellectual uh, accomplishments. He ended up being a lawyer, a, a congressman, uh, of a series of great jobs, failed jobs, few lost elections, but he was at the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. So when these guys talked, you would not found town two men more prepared to move our country forward, but no one's prepared to lead a civil war, guys. They would kill almost 700,000 people. Unreal. Unreal. Uh, didn't Frederick Douglass say, uh, I think I, I read a quote where he mentioned America is the greatest country 
even with slavery. But if it got rid of slavery, it would be the greatest country in the world. I mean, so he loved America and, and you were making that point before. And I thought that was right. fascinating that someone who, who was born into uh, into slavery uh, and into that bondage thought so thought like that about this country, which was amazing. Yeah, it is. Uh, let's make the country better. And when they brought up colonization of all people, it was Lincoln that brought up colonization. And he was one of the big proponents of it. Like, hey, guys, sorry about this. Uh, the slavery thing from a few hundred years ago, big mistake. Blacks and whites aren't together. We wouldn't have a war if this wasn't happening. Why don't you go back? I'll give you some money. Start again. And Frederick Doug was horrified by that. He's like, really? Yeah. You know, I know another country. Why would I know another country? Why would I want to leave this country? Just fix this country. And, you know, he was outraged. And, and when Lincoln made that move, a lot of people think that Lincoln made the move knowing full well it was going to fail. But he wanted to show the white population he was trying everything. He brought the New York Times into the Oval Office, not the Oval Office, but whatever they called their office back then. And then he brought him in and said, guys, I'm I four African-American leaders. I'd like you to come in. Great to see you. We're in the middle of a civil war. Big mistake, slavery. I have an option for you. How would you guys like to go to? Costa Rica, somewhere South America. Where do you, where would you like to go? I'll provide some money to maybe build a community and get you settled. And they, they were horrified. They're like, really? I thought you were fighting for our freedom. I didn't know you were looking to get rid of us. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think Lincoln would made that such a setup by inviting the press in. They were sending a message to white America. I'm trying everything. We have to live together. You saw I just tried what you thought about. I'm giving your idea some, some traction. It's not going to work. Douglas wrote he had the um, newspaper called the North Star. He was horrified by it. Who's this Lincoln? He's a fraud. He's not who he says he is. Still trying to get rid of us instead of trying to free us. So when you said they didn't get along, Lincoln never replied back that we knew of. Never wrote it down. Eventually, I'm sure he wrote the best biography ever, uh, but he was gunned down at 56. Mm -hmm. This episode brought to you by Health to the Rescue, providing a clear best choice for your supplement needs and using proceeds to fight human trafficking. They give at least $5 off of every bottle to help fight human trafficking. Also, check out the Protectors Pack. It's buy one, get one half off. It's right there now. Anything from vitamin D to magnesium, check out Health to the Rescue. This episode also brought to you by Faraday Defense. Compromise, hacked, tracked, it happens all over to everyday citizens. You don't have to be spooky or in the intel community either. Last time I went on a trip, my debit card was compromised, even though I didn't use it, but had it on my person. Now, when traveling in airports and commuting, I'll drop my wallet and phone into my Faraday bag. Definitely my thumb drive as well. Faraday Defense makes everything from cell phone bags, laptop bags, to backpacks, to even tent enclosures. Check out Faraday Defense. You know, uh, everybody out there, check out the book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. You know, you're bringing up a hell of a lot of great points. And, you know, we see a lot of stuff going on in the world today that is just absolutely crazy. And I am a big, my, one of the things I always tell people is history repeats. You have to read, read, read. You have to understand history. You have to learn. Now we're going to transition from the book into who is Brian Kilmeade. And you know, one thing uh, I did not realize about the whole UFC thing, and I know you probably get to answer this all, ask this all the time from the sports aficionados, but you, you know, popping on the news or, or popping on old school UFC two and three. Let's talk about that. And how'd you get involved with that? Now, cause I know your background was, Hey, you know, sports, sports, sports. 
Okay. Um, believe it or not, through stand-up. So I'm doing stand-up comedy just to get better on my feet, be better at memorizing. Also, when you're waiting for that perfect job, no one could tell you not to go on stage. There's always a place to go up. Not a great place. There's a six o'clock in a diner. There's a seven o'clock in a pre-show. So I go, let me do that. You know, why, you know, while I'm waiting to do this sports job or this feature or this series, why don't I try to do that? So I was doing that. And along the way, I always someone to take courses. So I took a course to start. And then along the way, they'd be like these advanced courses. One of the guys who did the advanced courses is hooked up with Semaphore Productions. So he was great. He was a good, great mentor of mine. I got along with him great. And he says to me, uh, well, Brian, what else do you do? I go, I'm a sports guy. I do sports, doing all sports radio. And then I get a call. I'm living out in Los Angeles. And I get a call on Thanksgiving and say, are you coming home for Thanksgiving? I go, yeah. He said, can you drop by my office? So we drop by and he puts in these Gracie VHS tapes. And he said, this is what's going on in Brazil. We want to bring it to America. Only we're going to do mixed martial arts. We're going to put, and we're going to have four or five fights in one night. And we're going to promote it as someone will die tonight. <laughs> I'm like, what? I can't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you think? I'm like, well, they go, this match goes on for an hour. You see the guy on the bottom? He's actually winning. The jujitsu guy. Yeah. And you'll watch. And then the Gracie father in the 1950s would just do this tremendous reversal. He weighed about 140 pounds and just choked the guy out. And then they would tell me about Hickson and Hoyce. And they go, we're going to sell this guy. See this guy? He's 170. He's going to beat the sumo guy. People are not going to believe it. He's going to beat the karate guy. But, you know, we're not going to fix the fights. They're going to be real fights. But no one can beat these Gracies. So I go, all right, uh, let me know. So I get a call a month later. They go, we're doing it. And I go, yeah. And I, I what do you want me to do? They go, play by play. I go, I can't do play by play. I know nothing about it. Can I do the ringside reporting? Uh, the outside, the octagon, which had not been named yet, but they showed me a sketch of the first octagon. And they go, Brian, do you know Jim Brown? I go, yeah, I host a show with him because he called the fight in Zaire, you know, 1974 mm -hmm. with Foreman and, uh, and uh, Ali. And he knows all these fighters, been around all these fighters. So I was hosting a show. I go, Jim, what do you think? Jim goes, I'm going to need $10,000 first-class travel. I go, $10,000 first-class travel, done. So we go out there. We have no idea what we're getting into. We find out that John McCain is protesting, says it's human <laughs> cockfighting, that it can't be allowed. So I go, oh, my God, this is nuts. In the very first bout, they, they, John Melius from Apocalypse Now designed the octagon, met him. Um, and if they close the door and they go, you cannot get knocked out. You can only get out of here because you're knocked out or choked out. The oh, door closes. My instructions were, whatever you do, don't open the door. I'm like, really? Some <laughs> fighter wants me to open up the fucking door. I'm opening up the door. So, so the sumo guy comes out and he rushes him, right? Like a sumo guy does. The karate guy goes, okay, I'll avoid that. I'll avoid that. The third time, the karate guy lines him up and kicks him in the face. Two teeth go on Jim Brown's oh. Blood everywhere. The sumo <laughs> guy goes, I quit. And then. Hori and Gracie, who organized it, goes, don't open the door. Don't open the door. The guy's like, open up the door. I'm like, this is the craziest thing I was ever involved in. And I did three or four. I guess I did three or four more. The next one, the guy froze, and I had to quickly do play-by-play. -play. Um, and then the next time I did play-by-play, -play, but I didn't do that well. And they ended up asking me to sideline again. But back then, I had almost no money. So if you give me $1,000, I'll do anything. <laughs> and they said, whatever you do, don't put it on your resume. But uh, and now, now and now it's, it's like, on a podcast. You can't get away from it. Yeah. But I you tell know, you, I just interviewed Hickson the other day, Gracie, and yeah. he's a great guy. He's a lethal killer. They wouldn't let him fight because he would have killed everybody. Right. They thought it was Hoyce's time. But I, I find them to be a fascinating family. Something I took from that 
is that the tougher you are, the nicer you are. I know there's some like knuckleheads, but for the most part, these lethal oh, yeah. weapons were the most humble, greatest guys. Yeah. The last people that would ever get in a fight with you, even though they could destroy you. Because when you have nothing to prove, that gives, I guess, it, you get to a place where you don't have to prove anything. You get such a self-confidence without a cockiness. And they were doing this for no money back then. So nobody was rich. They were doing it on the side, almost. It's, it's, Look what it's become. My gosh. Yeah. It's huge. Dana White deserves so much credit. Does, yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, as I, I watched more and more of him come, I think about how I'm aging. But, you know, and as I'm aging, I think about, you know, jumping into the broadcast media. And I think half my audience and half of Chris's audience are probably fellow podcasters. You know, you've had 30, almost 30 years or more in um, broadcast media. And like you said, you were taking jobs and jobs and jobs and getting good in your game. How do you stay on top of your game after all these years? Um, well, I mean, I like to, the one thing about Fox one minute, you could be hosting a show the next minute, doing a long form interview show. Now I'm doing thrive on 37, what made America great. So 30 minute documentaries, that's different. And then you got the morning show, which is different in that everything changes. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not reading any copy. I'm reading the introduction to Jason, your segment, and then it's prepare. So you're, you're going to be different than my interview with Gary with uh, Greg Zuckerman today, who talked about how we uh, how we got the COVID vaccines. So it's like you try to get better, but you also have a different challenge with each one. So it's it's like a gym where you try to do a different sport. There's a little bit of nuance. You're interviewing someone on a lighter note. You're interviewing somebody uh, who has a book to sell as opposed to outrage because we have unaccompanied minors talk, taking $24,000 mm -hmm. Per kid out of a, a school, uh, you know, out of a school that's already working class, uh, we can't even pay their teachers enough. So that's a little bit of outrage as opposed to the intellectual. How did these scientists come together on the mRNA vaccine? So, yeah, and, you know, I do have to, give you to get a... better and, and quicker with us. It's quick. It's everything's yeah. so quick at Fox, Fox and friend. Boom, boom, boom. Four minutes. Get to the point. Uh, Joining me now is Jason Piccolo. He spent his life at, on the border and. And doing secret service work and doing and protecting this country. Uh, and I got to get right to your first question as opposed to uh, Jason, how you doing? Man, <laughs> I just, I can't afford it. But on this I know. format, totally different. On the, the radio, much different. I get nine minutes uh, a segment, nine to 11 minutes. And I tell you what, the best thing is when I can, when I was on a Fox in the morning with you and do the quick segment and then we do the radio show. It's because your your dynamic is completely different. Exactly what you just said, and I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass, but you are one of the best people to throw a good interview and get the information out there quick, and then also the long form because I really really enjoy doing your radio show. Oh, thanks. Got to have you back too because nothing's going away. The same issues sticking around. I'm always ready, brother. Just give me a call, Chris. Last yeah, question for the you. Order's never been worse. Hey, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, kill so, me radio. So, so, uh, Brian, when, when you were writing that book, you know, we often, we were talking about looking in the past, hoping to find answers to problems of today while researching and, and writing this book. Did you find any answers applicable to today? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, number one, I think people should do two things if they want to understand about this country, travel and read our past. 
So before you come out and respond to the headlines of George Floyd's horrific death or a controversial shooting of Ahmed Arbery and condemn our country and police as endemically bad, understand, number one, why people might say that because of their past. You know, you're in the South. It's a lot different than growing up on Long Island. I get it. But understand where we've been, how far we've come, compare it to other countries and know we're the most successful multicultural country in history, while never perfect, nor claiming to be, by the way. Our, our best attribute is with, I put in the open in the dedication, we're trying, we're not perfect, but what makes us great is that we try to be. And if you see how far we've come and how level the playing field is, and then see that we got some things to fix, your attitude is much more positive as opposed to you came here, you, we came here in chains. America will never be equal. It's white supremacy. Not Now, I'll give you white supremacy. 1860, uh, excuse me, Reconstruction, the creation of the oh, Ku Klux yeah. Klan, Grant sending the army in to rid us of that because he was a great person yeah, and all the great was. abolitionists there. So if you know that, you don't dare bring up this, this Reconstruction or uh, Jim Crow 2.0. You would never no, say no, that no, if you no, understood never. Oh. And they sent the and Grant sent the Secret Service to uh, to take down the KKK, and they yeah. they, they they wrote a law uh, abolishing or prohibiting the KKK. I mean, we we strive when we continue to strive, America. It's the greatest country that has ever been, will likely ever be, and we continue to strive to uh, to make us all equal, uh, not got equal it. outcomes, but have equal opportunity. Well, we got Brian Kilmeade. Thanks a lot for coming out. We have Brian Kilmeade, the president and a freedom fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and her battle to save America's soul. It's an excellent book. And I have to thank your publisher for sending me arcs because I love reading these ahead of time. Brian, right. thanks a lot for coming on the show. And I look forward to chatting with you again real soon. Yeah, Jason, final point. If someone wants to go to BrianKilmeade.com, I got like 40 stops. And there's a chance for somebody watching us. I might be in your town. So just go to BrianKillMe.com, click on tour. I might be there, and I'd, I'd love to see everybody out there. Yeah, absolutely. And Brian is one of the most personal people out there. So please check out BrianKillMe.com. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Faraday Defense and to Health to the Rescue. Check them both out. They're both sponsors of the Protectors podcast. Thank you.